Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damn big that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the grip and imprint of boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill their promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had men and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer. Because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth.
I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and this is The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. The network website is thefringe.fm. The new network website, thefringe.fm. Our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. And if you go to our website, you'll find links to social media, facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings. Facebook is the only social media platform we use. But you can also find our email on the website or simply write it down, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's r-d-g-a-b-l-e at yahoo.com. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on tonight's show, last night's show, or any show, even if it's five years ago. rdgable at yahoo.com. rdgable at yahoo.com. I already received a few emails uh, from last night people asking me about the comments I made at the beginning of the show. And I'm very serious. I would like to have, I'll have to do a little bit of a screening first, but I'd like to have some listeners on the show rather than do call-ins like we used to do. Maybe do, you know, 15, 20-minute segments with some listeners. We'll put those shows together and we'll broadcast those on one of our shows during the week, Monday through Friday, right here on The Fringe FM. I also want to let you know that last night I had an opportunity to put up the montages in the Secret Teachings archive on the website. So when you subscribe to the archive, it's $50 for a year, you get access to the entire show archive, then you get access to two additional archives on the website, including the book archive and the montage archive. And when you click on the montage archive and you're logged into the website, you'll be able to listen, and I think you can download if you want it, but you can listen to all of the montages we've we've made over the years. I think we've, I don't do them every night because I don't have time, but I think I've made like 60 or so. There's a lot of montages in there, and you can listen to all of them. If you do use them on your show or somewhere else, you have to give us credit. And there's a little bit of information on the website about that as well. www.thesecretteachings.info I personally love to talk about fringe subjects. I love to talk about UFOs. I love to talk about time travel. I like to talk about retrocausality, how something in the future can affect something in the past. I like to talk about parallel dimensions, opening portals to other worlds, the relationship that things like CERN, John D., Aleister Crowley, and the modern music industry have in common. Hell, I've written a book on this called The Technological Elixir that deals in everything from artificial intelligence to demonic possession. My biggest book, and my masterpiece, I call it, is Occult Arcana, which is an enormous book, 7 by 9 so it's larger than a normal 6 by 9 book. It's a 7 by 9 book, and this thing is over 500 pages there's so much stuff in this book. I picked up a copy of it the other day on my bookshelf, and I just flipped through it because I was mailing a copy out. And I had really honestly forgotten how much information about the occult and the esoteric that's in that book. I mean, everything from mythology and theology and philosophies of various backgrounds and ideas to, I mean, to be honest with you, it's my book. I forgot that I included a section at the end on voodoo. There's a section on voodoo. There's a section on 
on not cryptids, but we have stories about vampires, uh, old myths, things like that. Even a section on fairy tales and uh, nursery rhymes. All that's in the book. It's a huge book. And this, uh, this isn't a plug for the book. I should say it is. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because that is literally the one thing that just empowers me and makes me so excited every day to wake up and to learn something new. And before I really got into understanding what the occult is, and no, I don't mean devil worship and Baphomet and the goat of Mendez. I love when people tell me that Baphomet is an evil symbol. It's an evil thing. And then they can't explain to me why, but I can give them like a hundred explanations and a hundred reasons why it could be to prove their point and also why it's not and what it actually represents and the deeper meaning of Baphomet. And that's, that's the thing that bothers me. It's like, there are always people that speak out of ignorance on a subject. I myself am one of them. In fact, even when you know or you think you know what you're talking about, you're still speaking out of ignorance. We're always speaking out of ignorance because none of us know everything. None of us know even a little bit. We have an idea and we have some details. And we look at history and one of the charges that's always placed on history is that it's his story, so none of it's really accurate. It's always the victor who writes the history books. And although that charge may be true, the way that history works is that historians piece together journal entries, they piece together documents, they piece together maybe even things like you know paintings and drawings, and they try to create along with taking information from older historians who may have lived during the time of the Romans or during the time of, uh, you know, if we look at Eastern history, the time of the various uh, Chinese empires. You, you look at history, and there's all of these different components that if you put them together in one way, it builds you this, this perception. But you can take the same components and put them together in another way, and it builds another perception. And it's unfortunate about history that you have people that read history and try to become historians on a subject, but their goal is to either, as a result of personal decision or a result of simply not knowing any better, they tow the mainline narrative so as to get their book published or maybe to become a professor or a teacher. You have to kind of do that in a lot of in a lot of cases, a lot of institutions. And when you do this, you're not really a historian. You're just a guy or a girl who repeats the same thing that everybody else is repeating. A real historian is someone that they call a revisionist. And here's the thing about revisionism. Revisionism is actual history. Because like science, science is always changing. Well, maybe not science. Science is a field of study. It's a field of observation and analysis. History is the same. It's a field of observation and analysis. In fact, mythology is science. Mythology was a way in which those that understood the natural world more so than the common folk could explain 
processes of nature and scientific mechanisms to the average person and have these stories passed down from generation to generation to generation so that even today, hundreds or thousands of years removed from the source, we can still look at those stories and we can extract from those stories the various scientific theories of the day. I mean, do you think that stories like Sleeping Beauty or Beauty and the Beast, I mean, these aren't even really old stories. I mean, Sleeping Beauty goes back a little bit further than Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast goes back to like the 1700s around that time. But Sleeping Beauty, uh, Cinderella, these are old stories, very old stories. These are these are stories that are perhaps thousands of years old. They've just been retold, retold, retold. When we extract from them the science of the day, it often is parallel to the science of today. I mean, if you think about something like the four elements, right? Fire, earth, air, and water. What are the four elements? In scientific terms, earth is carbon, water is hydrogen, fire is nitrogen, and air is oxygen. We extract science from myth, from history. It's all part of the same structure. Science is within history. History is within science. We have a history of science, and there's a science to history. And so when they say, well, you're a revisionist for writing about World War II in a different way than what the standard textbooks paid for by the Rockefeller Foundation say, the Rockefeller family did actually commission hundreds of thousands of dollars commissioned an official version of World War II that was then put into all the textbooks. And then you don't have to control everybody. Everybody just, you know, if they want to write a book or they want to be a professor, they have to toe that narrative. They have to toe that line. So when you try to write about that, they're like, no, 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 that's revisionist history. You're basically telling someone who's a revisionist, they're a quack, they're a pseudoscientist. That's what revisionism is. Revisionism is like calling a scientist a pseudoscientist. You're not a real scientist because you're not saying exactly what everybody else says. Well, no, no, no. Actually, the pseudoscientist might be more of a scientist than you are because the pseudoscientist is asking questions and going beyond what the textbook, what the in-stone writing says. That doesn't mean that all pseudoscientists are real scientists because there are a lot of pseudoscientists who are, by charge, pseudoscientists. They sell snake oil. They are frauds. But there are just as many snake oil salesmen and frauds in the, main, in the mainline scientific community, just like there are in the historical community. They, they, you can call someone, you're a revisionist historian, you don't understand history. Well, no, actually, history is kind of like science because you don't have all the details, you don't have all the facts, and you have a certain perception that's a little bit bigoted that you'd like to project for whatever the reason might be. Money, maybe it's because prestige, you want to keep your job, you want to publish more books with that publisher, and they won't publish something that's a little bit off limits. So you have to toe the line. So when they say, oh, you're a revisionist, well, it's not, you're not really revisionist, you're just a historian. And they can call someone a pseudoscientist, but they're not really a pseudoscientist, they're just a scientist. There are just as many scientists who are pseudoscientists as pseudoscientists who are scientists. And there are just as many historians who are actually revisionists by the charge that revisionism means that you don't really know what you're talking about and you're a fraud, as there are revisionists and frauds who are actual historians. You get my point? Do you see what I mean? 
And this is the one thing that irks me. This is the one thing that bugs me, perhaps more than anything else, because although I love the occult and I love symbolism, you have to understand that all this stuff is one and the same. To me, that's what the occult is. That's why I named this show The Secret Teachings, because the secret teachings of all ages, if you read the book by Manly Palmer Hall, it's a book that includes everything from, you wouldn't think of this if you just glanced at the cover, it includes everything from myth to science, to history, to cryptography. That's one of the sections in the book, if you ever read the book or flip through it, that got me at first when I read it like over a decade ago. I was like, what, why is there a section on cryptography in here? And that's one of the things that really just irks me so badly because although I love occultism and esotericism and subjects that are considered fringe and out there, we often forget that there are some subjects that maybe some authors or radio shows dedicate all of their time to, but there are some subjects that might not seem like they have any relationship to one another, but, but they do, and, and they're very, very important. And it's very important to keep those subjects relatable to one another, because if we don't, then we lose the context and we lose the perspective. Now, for weeks... I've been telling you on this show, and really for years, but for weeks here in the United States, we've had consistent, overt, and sometimes covert attempts and successes at tearing down statues and burning buildings and breaking windows, things that are called peaceful protests, correct? And then when people try to defend themselves, they're told, well, you don't really have a right to defend yourself from the mob because the mob is a peaceful protest, and they just use, you know, double-speak, newspeak to propagandize people into accepting their servitude and their bowing and kneeling to the collective coercive persuasion of the mob and the mob's demands. The same people that say, we believe in the right to protest, but we don't believe in a right to defend yourself. And they evoke human rights when it's feasible. When it works for them, it's kind of like a buffet. We'll take a little bit of that, but only sometimes. We'll take a little bit of that. Well, we don't want you to take any of that. It's inequality, and it's ideologically unsound. And so when you have statues being taken down, I've explained and expressed here on the show that this has nothing to do, and most of you know this, this has nothing to do with preserving a safe space today by eliminating bad history. What it has to do with is creating the perception of a safe space by eliminating the perception of negative history by greatly misunderstanding why those so-called negative histories are preserved for the public eye so that we learn from the past and we don't make the same mistakes again. When you get rid of it, you get rid of the memory of it, and you get rid of the lesson of it. And when you get rid of the memory and the lesson of it, you are prone to make the same mistakes again. Therefore, those, knowingly or unknowingly, getting rid of that history, whether burning a book, burning a statue, or tearing a statue down, literally or figuratively, they are working for an energy and a force that wishes to carry out the same policies and the same history once more 
in the present or in the very near future. And that is so critical to understand. And I'll tell you that a couple of years ago, back in 2015, I believe it was, I had, maybe 2016, I had Jim Mars on the show. And Jim Mars and I were talking about in Colorado, there was a place in Colorado where I think it was a school board, you could probably still look this up, that said they no longer were going to teach negative history because negative history was too negative. And so they wanted to get, get rid of negative history. And see, the negative history in the United States that they wanted to get rid of in Colorado, the state of Colorado, was revolutionary history. Now, those of you who understand where I'm going with this, and maybe you've heard that story before, clearly understand and grasp the bigger picture. Why of all history would they want to get rid of revolutionary history? Why of all his, why wouldn't they get rid of some other kind of history? Why target specifically revolutionary history? Why not just get rid of, rid of World War II history? Just get rid of that evil Hitler that you hate so much. Get rid of that powerful German economy that you hate so much. Just erase that, and we can still learn about American revolutionary history in the Civil War. Why can't we learn about that period of time? Well, that's because that period of time was the founding of this country, and the founding on principles that some people don't want you to recognize as the God-giving and God-given empowering elements that make truly all men and all women free when they are born from birth with unalienable rights that are not derived from government but preserved in the foundation of the United States of America as a union by government. Granted by God, preserved by government, and not a God of the Bible, a God of whatever you choose to call it. When you are born, those rights given to you. That's why the statues are torn down. That's why Colorado didn't want to teach revolutionary history or any American history for that matter. And now, on August 2nd, over the weekend, a story was published by Channel 5 Chicago, NBC News. Chicago area leaders call for Illinois to abolish history classes. Leaders in education, politics, and other areas gathered in suburban Evanston Sunday to ask that the Illinois State Board of Education change the history curriculum at schools statewide and temporarily halt instruction until an alternative is decided upon. At a news conference, State Representative LaShawn K. Ford said current history teachings lead to a racist society and overlook the contributions of women and minorities. Before the event Sunday, Representative Ford's office distributed a news release, quote, Representative Ford today in Evanston to call for the abolition of history classes in Illinois schools. Quote, in which Ford asked the ISBOE and school districts to immediately remove history curriculum and books that, quote, unfairly communicate, end quote, history, quote, until a suitable alternative is developed, end quote. Do you understand the implication of that? Do you understand the implications of that? Do you understand the assault on culture and history and society 
that is being waged by such an assertion, by such a statement, by such a call that a representative of a state would say, we need to eliminate history, we need to abolish history, because history leads to a racist society that overlooks the contributions of women and minorities. Now let me tell you something, Representative LaShawn King. History doesn't do anything. It's those who use history that are guilty of such a charge. And if you knew anything about history, you would recognize that all people throughout history have been treated in the same tone that you claim certain minorities and women have been treated. Do you know who sewed the first American flag? Betsy Ross, who was a white woman who was also an abolitionist. But no, we can't remember Betsy Ross because Betsy Ross was, Ross was a white woman, and she was by extension, of course, she had to have been racist, right? Because she was a white woman in a white man's world. You know, throughout history, whether it was empires in Africa or the Roman Empire or Asian empires or Native Americans, as we call them, Indian empires, those in South America, you know that there have always been slaves. There have always been people enslaved. And there have always been people that enslaved their own people. We romanticize Native Americans. You know, Native Americans scalped each other, tomahawked each other, arrowed each other, slaughtered each other, raped each other, burned each other's villages. Or do you think that just white Europeans came up with those ideas? The whole world was living in perfect harmony, and then horrible Europeans came and said, you know what, we want to start scalping people, raping people, stealing land, etc., 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 because God gave us the right to do it. History is important, and tonight I am going to give you one of the best historical analyses of American history that you've probably ever heard. And I can say that without arrogance or ego because I know for a fact, having taken all of the advanced placement history classes when I was in school, you don't learn this in school. And everything I'm going to tell you is documented fact. And I'm going to explain to you how all the charges against American history should be turned around and levied on those who are making the charges. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right here on The Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings or our website, thesecretteachings.info. Here at The Secret Teachings, we're pushing 11 years on air. From powerful interviews to truly unique analysis, we're here for you five nights a week. And now we can also be with you whenever you want to listen. Just subscribe to our archive today and get access to stream and download every show after it airs. Your subscription also includes access on the site to my books, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and The Technological Elixir. 
along with my original books that many people have been asking for, The Grand Illusion, The Persistent Illusion, and False Prophets. We are also growing our montage archive, which will be available on the site for subscribers to listen. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info, click on the Donate or Subscribe tab at the top of the page, and become a member today. Even if you aren't a member, though, you can access certain select shows in our free archive and grab a free show released every week on the site. Otherwise, catch us Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. Alex Hi, I'm Alex Exum, and you're listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. The Secret Teachings t-shirts are now available through TeePublic and the show website at thesecretteachings.info. Whatever your color or size, check out the full selection on our website. Shirt designs include the Secret Teachings logo, our Occult Arcana shirt, the infamous Mothman, and of course the Blue Chicken Avian shirts, among others like the Paranormal Desert shirt. Check them out on TeePublic by searching for The Secret Teachings or simply visit thesecretteachings.info and select the merchandise option at the top of the page. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. is out there. There's something out here. And so are we. KTOK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. You tune into this show at your own risk because it leads to a state of mind, not a perception that will be, but one that is. I'm Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings. The analysis offered on this show is objective, removed from the emotional hysteria of the hive mind collective mob of coercive persuasion the polar divisions in politics and religion, and those that exist in the paranormal, occult, and even in health. By simple observation and common sense, one may decipher the newspeak, doublespeak, and propaganda of ideological collectives intent on persuading the individual to abandon liberty through coercion and fear. On this show, we will speak to your heart and soul, opening a channel to spirit. And when you tune into this frequency, you are hearing the secret teachings. Five nights a week, on the Fringe FM, with a full archive at thesecretteachings.info. People think there's one reality. 
but there's loads of them all snaking off like roots, and what we do on one path affects what happens on other paths. Time is a construct. People think you can't go back and change things, but you can. That's what flashbacks are. They're invitations to go back and make different choices. When you make a decision, you think it's you doing it, but it's not. It's the spirit out there that's connected to our world that decides what we do, and we just have to go along for the ride. Mirrors let you move through time. The government monitors people. They pay people to pretend to be your relatives, and they put drugs in your food, and they film you. There's messages in every game, like Pac-Man. Do you know what PAC stands for? P-A-C. Program and control. He's program and control man. The whole thing's a metaphor. He thinks he's got free will, but really, he's trapped in a maze, in a system. All he can do is consume. He's pursued by demons that are probably just in his own head. And even if he does manage to escape by slipping out one side of the maze, what happens? He comes right back in the other side. People think it's a happy game. It's not a happy game. It's a fucking nightmare world. And the worst thing is, it's real and we live in it. It's all code. If you listen closely, you can hear the numbers. There's a cosmic flowchart that dictates where you can and where you can't go. I've given you the knowledge. I've set you free. I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and you are listening to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe. FM. I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and this is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM, our website, www.thesecretteachings.info, to contact me, rdgable at yahoo.com. So a couple of years ago, a school district in Colorado said that we should stop teaching negative history, negative American history, no more American revolutionary history. You don't get to be taught about that because that's all negative and that's all racist. I always wondered, who are you to make that charge or to make that claim? And even if that charge and that claim were accurate, why not teach it? To teach a lesson, not to act in those ways, right? That would be the logical thing to extract from history, negative or otherwise. Who makes such a relative accusation? Well, now, State Representative LaShawn K. Uh, K. Ford of Illinois has declared that history should be abolished in Illinois schools so that a new form of alternative history can be taught. That's right, because LaShawn K. Ford said, history teachings lead to a racist society and overlook the contributions of women and minorities. Well, they only overlook those contributions if you don't study those contributions. And that's the thing that's so bothersome. If you don't know anything about history, then you just listen to people that you think know about history, and they tell you that the American Revolution was all about white men who owned land, and they had the power over everybody, and no one else had. All the women were oppressed. All the blacks were oppressed. None of that is true. In fact, it's so easy to demonstrate how untrue it is. It's kind of an embarrassment 
as a human being, that there are other human beings who are so ignorant and so foolish. The fact that all men are equal is proved by birth. It's not proved by a government or some white guys a few hundred years ago. By God, whatever you call God, a higher power, man has purpose and something to aspire to. As the spirit of liberty throughout history has grown, the empires of the world struck back. They struck back with fear of their own loss of power and in a vicious attempt to once more capture the spirit of mankind. You get people like John Dewey, for example. John Dewey saw the founding of America as inadequate. Dewey was the famous American philosopher, psychologist, and educational reformer whose ideas have been influential in education and social reforms. He believed that the social order, quote, cannot be established by an unplanned and external convergence of the actions of separate individuals, end quote. He thought that it could be done through, quote, organized social planning put into effect for the creation of an order in which industry and finance are socially directed, end quote. In other words, a centrally controlled economy, the very thing that Karl Marx and the communists would attempt to implement time and time again despite the terror and the horrors of those systems of government. John Dewey's view on historical relativity has revised history to the point today that it is really seen as irrelevant and useless. There's no point in having history. Dewey said, Social arrangements, laws, institutions are means of creating individuals, and individuality is a social and moral sense to be wrought out. There's no such thing as true individuality. You become part of a collective in society, and the collective gives you these perceptions of individuality. In other words, the collective destroys the individual. Dewey did not believe that man does anything on his own. He has no self-reliance or individuality, nor does he have intelligence. Rather than these qualities coming from nature, Dewey said that they come from an institution, that they come from a social order, just like Heigl and Rizal said before. Dewey said, quote, the state has the responsibility for creating institutions under which individuals can effectively realize the potentialities that are theirs, end quote. He did not believe in natural or divine standards of the right or wrong ways of living, that religion and ideals are anything but fiction. In other words, Dewey championed moral relativism. He said that if man is nothing then man must be a victim of nature, not a product of it. And it's only the state that has the ability to protect man from these abuses. Without reason, ambition, pride, self-assertion, self-preservation, and purpose, man is a wandering animal in need of guidance. And this is the demoralization process by which much of humanity has been brought under the control of and why history has been burned under the charge of its negative and gross abuses of certain victim classes of the new and the old forms of liberalism. If any injustice perceived or otherwise exists today or in history, it is justification to burn down the entire structure of civilization. 
If any abuse exists or any imperfection, it is justification to tear down history rather than allowing history to be the natural and divine teacher that it is. If we agree that one flaw means we should destroy the entire structure, the whole thing, consider the implications of such an ideology. The most beautiful woman, the most beautiful painting, the most beautiful sculpture, the most beautiful house should all be eliminated for a slight imperfection. Which is, as the ideology itself professes, entirely relative. And that gives power to the controlled mob to point out such flaws. However, to combat such stupidity, one must ask what exactly is being torn down. Is it civilization, society, culture? If these are the things being torn down, if this is the case, and if they are so imperfect that they should be burned as a result... It should not be enough to ask why they are being burned and what they are going to be replaced with, but who decides what they are going to be replaced with. It's obvious that men and women will make those decisions. The same men and women from the same stock of humanity that is supposedly responsible for the flaws that are relatively recognized and should be torn down as a result of there being flaws. Therefore, the power to decide these things rests in the hands of those same humans who we have given the power to make such decisions. In other words, we the people have the power, and there are many who wish to trick us into giving that power away. We must not out of any tactic, trick, or threat. For if we do, humanity will globally come under the control of tyranny that every tyrant throughout history has desired, global domination. This is the kingdom of the Antichrist, a global empire, and it is fought by the faithful followers of God or of the spirit of liberty, whichever you choose to call it. I choose not to call it God for many different reasons. It is bondage or it is freedom. To simplify things, those who believe that the flaws in history, the flaws in what humans have created as a social order, as a structure, as a painting, etc., 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 anything in the name of God, anything that is natural, if there is a flaw in it, it gives man the justification and the right to tear it down, to burn it down, to rip it down, and to destroy it. But if that were the case, that would mean two things. It would mean, one, man has jurisdiction over what God and nature has created. And if God and nature is imperfect, how can man, created by God and nature, also be able to set in judgment of those things that are imperfect because he himself, her herself, would also be imperfect and have no reasoning that is logical and have no right and no justification and have no power to set in judgment of those other things that are made in the same image that they are made in. And if these things, if civilization, society, and history, and all these things are so negative and so evil, they are the byproduct of human existence. And if that is the case, and they are so imperfect... How can giving power to the same people from the same stock of humanity change those inconsistencies and those flaws in the various systems of the world? They can't. They can only make it worse. Thomas Paine wrote in Common Sense, Male and female are the distinctions of nature, good and bad the distinctions of heaven. But how a race of men came into the world so exalted above the rest and distinguished like some new species is worth inquiring into. 
and whether they are the means of happiness or of misery to mankind. All those who tell you, I am righteous, and there's no such thing as right or wrong, there's no such thing as a moral guideline. Humans are animals, and humans have created so much horror in the world that you must give us your power so that we can right those wrongs. And very few people are wise enough to ask, but you are no different than me. How can you right the wrongs of my existence when you exist in the same flesh and blood as I do, when you are made in the same image that I am? How can you right those wrongs that are natural? How can you say that those are wrongs to begin with? And who gives you what authority in order to right such wrongs, even if you were able to justify that those things were wrong? Who gives you that authority? And why does a flaw or a wrong have to be rewritten? Sometimes flaws are the very things that make something perfect. These are the ramblings and the ideologies of men and women who want power and want control and want to eliminate all those they see as inferior to themselves. There are so many professors and students today who believe that the United States of America as a union and the colonies before were founded on the idea that only some men were created equal and others are not endowed by their creator with unalienable rights, that they do not have the right to liberty and property. There is, however, no indication of these charges to be found by those who expressed or supported the belief that all men are created equal and entitled to civil liberties at least, civil rights being a secondary social contract. The argument is very much like those used against the Germans. And this is one thing that also irritates me because I don't just love American revolutionary history. I like pre-World War II German history. And it's very parallel. Because the same argument is used against the Germans, that rather than the Germans using words like extermination, they used words like transit to cover up their crimes. But since there's absolutely no proof that the Germans set out to directly exterminate one group of people in a particular way, in a systematic way, then any information to the contrary of these accusations must simply be language that the Germans used to hide their crimes in secret. Despite how proud they were of what they were doing, they wanted to hide those crimes in secret because the charge is absolute and the evidence is found overtly and covertly in codes and secret symbols. They actually meant this. They, like the pastor, the preacher who tells you, well, this is what God actually meant. And the historians are blasphemers that also tell you the same thing. This is what the German government actually meant. This is what Hitler actually meant. And even in the face of so much terror and death and suffering in the Soviet Union or in communist China or in Cambodia or in any other place on this world where the horrors of communism have been instituted and legalized, not under the law of God, but under the law of man, the same people that look at World War II history, they look at Germany and they say, well, the Germans spoke in codes they look at these other countries and these other forms of government before, during, and after the Second World War, and they say, this was justified in the name of equality. How can you be so ignorant? How can you be so arrogant? And how can you be such a monster as to declare 
that the death of one person or one group of people is more significant and more important than the death of another group of people or another individual. How can you declare that 6 million Jews in Germany are more important than the 30 million people slaughtered, including millions of Jews in Russia? Or the millions of people that starved to death in the Ukraine? Or the 100 million people that starved to death or were brutally beaten, stabbed, murdered, raped, etc., 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 in China? In the 40s, 50s, and 60s. How can those lives not mean as much as 6 million Jews? Can somebody explain that to me adequately? Because I'm getting about sick and goddamn tired of hearing about how 6 million Jews are more important than any other group of people. The same argument used in the founding of the United States of America. The founders spoke in codes. They didn't actually believe that all men are created equal. They didn't understand what it meant. Or they're hypocrites betraying their own principles. These are the charges levied against the founders of the United States of America. And I don't care if you're in Australia, you're in the UK. Or you're in Russia or Japan or Mexico. Because history is going to be important no matter where you are in the world. History can provide us like myth, like a parable, like a story, with a guideline. To show us where mistakes were made. And where we can do better as human beings. And it's incredible that anybody today, whether a pastor blasphemously says that this is what God actually meant, or a historian says this is what Hitler actually meant, or other historians say, well, the founders, we really can't decide what they believed, but they surely didn't believe that all men were created equal. What they actually believed were that some men were created equal. And then other historians say, no, 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 no. What they meant was all men are created equal, but they didn't actually mean it. Or other historians say, no, no, no. They meant it, but they were just hypocrites. How can you have so many charges levied against the same group of people using the same justifications to justify various charges that come from a variety of different perspectives? How is that possible? It's completely inappropriate and disingenuous to judge the 18th century by the standards of the 21st century. If one asks today why a single individual may hold negative racial biases against another individual or group and asks why that can't be eradicated, then one places themselves in the political shoes of 18th century men and women. If one was to consider modern political correctness, then Patrick Henry would probably have said, give me liberty or just take it if you think it's fair. I don't want to discriminate against the right of the king rather than give me liberty or give me death. The concept of liberty and equality grew and blossomed, a concept that many of the founders understood more directly and more thoroughly through the signing of the Declaration of Independence or the writings of the U.S. Constitution, both of which were acts of treason to varying degrees. If they had believed only some men were created equal, good judgment would dictate that this would have been included in the founding documents. It would make little sense for them to speak in codes and secrets if they really did believe that all white men were more equal as opposed to the black race or women for that matter. The word men or mankind has always referred to the entirety of the human race, only somewhat recently losing that definition. The fact that this language, all men, was used and not all white men is proof enough it should be proof enough that the founders understood the concept and were not merely revolutionaries in battle and not in thought. In fact, thought and the work of Thomas Paine in Common Sense was revolutionary enough to spark a rebellion. 
simple thoughts, simple strokes of a pen. Despite the apparent hypocrisy of many slave owners declaring that men were equal, from Jefferson to Washington, there is an equal amount of literature on the subject written by these and other men, where they also condemn the institution of slavery with the fear of God's just wrath upon them. Ending slavery in the 18th century would not have been as easy as simply signing it into law and affirming the founding principles. Even after the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil War, blacks were still treated as second-class citizens. Slavery was still permitted in some places. Having not been given many civil rights, though some civil liberties were acknowledged, black people were still treated as second-class citizens or second-class and not citizens at all. They were given citizenship and an expressed right to vote, something that had been put into an amendment in order for it to be solidified because others saw blacks as inferior. In other words, it had to be written down because people wanted to use a universal concept of equality and freedom to justify their hatred of one group of people and their possession of property in that of a human being. And since it wasn't written down exclusively that black men and black women and black children are also created equal, they said that it must have just been the white men that are protected. And if that were the case, why did the founders oppose slavery? Even after the civil liberties and civil rights that were granted to blacks took effect, powerful men and women did not abide by these principles and did not see blacks as equal. Therefore, during the founding or a century later during the Civil War, the opposition to the so-called hypocrisy of the founders who supposedly spoke in codes and didn't believe that men were created equal, that opposition openly spoke about their distaste for the black race and belief that blacks were inferior to whites. And if the founders were all racist, why not speak in the same voice? And why strike compromises with slaveholding states during the 1787 Constitutional Convention? If all men were in favor of slavery, whether owners of slaves or not, would the convention not simply have been unanimously in favor of slavery, or would it have simply overlooked the issue entirely? Of course, without any context, a lot of people foolishly believe this. Think about it for a second. Why was there so much opposition to slavery? If this was the founding principle of the United States of America as a nation, with all the states in the Union coming together and ratifying the Constitution, then why was there opposition to the Constitution? Why was there opposition to the declaring that blacks were as equal as whites? To the granting of civil liberties and civil rights then and after the Civil War? Why were so many people opposed to that? If the country was founded on systemic racism, you'd imagine that it would be written into the founding documents. You'd imagine that it would be present within those founding documents. Think about that while we go to break. When we come back, I'm going to get deeper into this. Don't go anywhere. More on the other side of this break right here on the Fringe FM. We might even skip a break in the next hour because there's a lot to get to, and I really want to smooth this out and provide you with information that perhaps more than ever is critical 
at least now in the United States of America, with current events. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. We'll be back. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. Here at The Secret Teachings, we're pushing 11 years on air. From powerful interviews to truly unique analysis, we're here for you five nights a week. And now we can also be with you whenever you want to listen. Just subscribe to our archive today and get access to stream and download every show after it airs. Your subscription also includes access on the site to my books, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and The Technological Elixir, along with my original books that many people have been asking for, The Grand Illusion, The Persistent Illusion, and False Prophets. We are also growing our montage archive, which will be available on the site for subscribers to listen. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info, click on the Donate or Subscribe tab at the top of the page, and become a member today. Even if you aren't a member, though, you can access certain select shows in our free archive and grab a free show released every week on the site. Otherwise, catch us Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, mythology to alchemy, check out Ryan Gable's book, Occult Arcana, with hundreds of beautiful images. If you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic packs made in the entertainment industry, check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. And if you want a practical look at food, lifestyle, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and order yours today. It supports The Secret Teachings, you, and The Fringe FM. You tune into this show at your own risk, because it leads to a state of mind. Not a perception that will be, but one that is. I'm Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings. The analysis offered on this show is objective, removed from the emotional hysteria of the hive mind collective mob of coercive persuasion, the polar divisions in politics and religion, and those that exist in the paranormal, occult, and even in health. By simple observation and common sense, one may decipher the news speak doublespeak, and propaganda of ideological collectives intent on persuading the individual to abandon liberty through coercion and fear. On this show, we will speak to your heart and soul, opening a channel to spirit. And when you tune into this frequency, you are hearing The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on The Fringe FM, with a full archive at thesecretteachings.info. We've heard your feedback loud and clear. You called it out, and now we're answering. All new live programming, five nights a week. Always remember, The Fringe FM is for you, the listener. And we appreciate your feedback. Keep the feedback coming. You can email us at talkback at thefringe.fm. 
call the station at 501-777-5631 or send us a message on Facebook at The Fringe FM. Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination. Where the past, present, and future all coexist on the same timeline. A reminder that the future is not some distant glimmer, but a bright light shining in your eyes. This is the future we are in right now. Welcome to a future where our true reflection is only revealed once the screen goes dark. Welcome to the darkness. I hope you find it enlightening. I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and you are listening to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Ryan Gable, your host, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. If a boat is sinking, and you know that there are holes in the boat, and the water is pouring in, you don't take a Dixie cup and scoop the water out and pour it out of the boat, and then scoop some more water out and pour it, pour it out of the boat. Some people work on picking the water up in buckets and dumping it over the side. They don't use Dixie cups. And others work on fixing the hole in the boat. If you don't fix the hole in the boat, it doesn't matter how much water you dump out of the boat, water is still going to rush in and probably quicker than you can get the water out of the boat. In America today, our boat is sinking. In fact, the global boat is sinking. And the funny thing about this global boat sinking, the global boat has been compared to the American boat. And as it sinks, people are worried about little tiny Dixie cups full of water and getting those water, those cups with that water out of the boat, just dumping it out of the boat, while the boat continues to sink with big holes in it. So in order to prevent the boat from sinking, we need to fix those holes. And we can use the analogy that the boat itself is history. And there are holes in history. A lot of those holes in history have been made by people in the boat who don't like the boat, who want to see the boat sink, so they break holes in the boat and try to help the water get in. Because they know if the boat collapses, if the boat sinks, it destroys all the things that are preserved within that boat, within history. If you get rid of America, you get rid of the founding of America. If you stop teaching history in class, like those people in Colorado on certain school boards wanted to do a couple of years ago, and now in Illinois, one representative wants history to be done away with. State Representative LaShawn K. Ford said that current history teachings lead to racist society and overlook the contribution of women and minorities. How can you look at history so arrogantly and ignorantly as to ignore all the women in history. 
as to ignore all the so-called minorities throughout the rest of the world, not just in the United States of America. How can you look at history with such a blind eye to declare that no women, no minorities did anything? History has been filled with white people since the beginning. That is one of the most retarded statements I have ever heard. How are you an elected representative? Because Oh, it's because he's black. That's why he's an elected representative in Illinois. I guarantee you that, because he's black. That's why. Plenty of black people that hold representation that don't believe these things, but they don't get to speak, and we'll get to that later. Despite the apparent hypocrisy of many Slave owners, as we're told, declaring that all men are equal, specifically referring to Thomas Jefferson, as people do, or to George Washington. There's an equal amount of literature on the subject written by these men and other men where they condemn the institution of slavery with the fear of God's just wrath coming down upon them for the violation of the natural rights that all men have, black or white. John Adams spoke of this, Benjamin Franklin spoke of this, Alexander Hamilton spoke of this, James Madison spoke of this. Benjamin Franklin called it an atrocious debasement of human nature. John Adams said that I have, through my whole life, held the practice of slavery in abhorrence. James Madison said, We have seen the mere distinction of color made in the most enlightened period of time, a ground of the most oppressive dominion ever exercised by man over man. Contrary to what you've been told in history class or what your friends who constantly nag about this have been told in their history classes, the founders of this country were not racists and attempted to do away with an institution that had existed since the beginning of time and that still exists today in parts of Africa and in parts of the Middle East. That is the literal capital for the slave state of Somalia. They still trade in human beings today. Black people trading black people. Ending slavery in the 18th century would not have been as easy as simply signing a piece of paper and affirming the founding principles verbally. You know, even after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, which was modeled after the Tsar after in Russia, signing an Emancipation Proclamation for serfs in, I think, 1861, even after the 1863 Proclamation, and the Civil War, blacks were still treated as second-class citizens, having not been given many civil rights, though some civil liberties were acknowledged. They were given citizenship and an expressed right to vote, something that had to be put into an amendment for it to be solidified to those who saw blacks as inferior after the fact. Even the Civil War, even the Emancipation Proclamation, even the Reconstruction Amendments did not prevent people from seeing blacks as less than human as having no right to civil liberties and definitely no right to civil rights. Two different distinct things. But even after civil liberties and civil rights were granted to blacks, these powerful men and women did not stop. They did not abide by the principles of freedom for all, equality for all. They did not see blacks as equal, and therefore during the founding of the United States of America, or a century later during the Civil War, the opposition to the so-called hypocrisy of the founders who supposedly spoke in codes, you know, they actually were speaking in codes like the Germans and didn't believe that men were created equal. 
The opposition to all men are created equal openly spoke about their distaste for the black race and belief that blacks were inferior to whites. Are you to levy a charge against the founders of the United States of America among all the men and women, black and white, who died for liberty, that they were all involved in the conspiracy that, okay, you take this stance and we'll take this stance and we'll say we're for liberty, but we're really for racism. And you take the stance of racism and we'll fight each other so generations in the future will think that some of us were not racist, but really we're all in agreement that white people are better than black people, right? Everyone in favor, say aye. If the founders were all racist, why not speak in the same voice? And why strike compromises with slaveholding states during the 1787 Constitutional Convention? Or do you brain-dead, brainwashed professors not even know what the hell that is? If everyone was in favor of slavery, think about it. If everybody was in favor of slavery, whether owners of slaves or not, would the convention not simply have unanimously overlooked the issue of slavery and allowed it to continue? Of course, without any context, many people believe this. There are and still are today men and women in the 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st century who still see blacks and other races as inferior to themselves. And you know what? They have every right to hold that opinion because there are just as many other races, blacks, who see whites as inferior to themselves. Except today, rather than speaking of superiority and inferiority, these people champion the cause of perceived rights and liberties and organize terror against those who don't support the white man speaking for any other race of man or woman. In other words, the Southerners in the 19th century and some Northerners who either owned slaves or believed in the institution of slavery and the inferiority of the black race broke with the founding principles and argued strongly against them with rejection of natural law. This indication that the founding principles were opposed to those who believed in the institution of slavery and in the inferiority of the black race. The founders, therefore, could not have been racist bigots, but men attempting to right societal wrongs while carrying with their own flaws and hoping that generations that preceded them would carry on the torch of liberty and finally end slavery and all of its horrors. What proof of that exists? There's plenty of it. Even during the founding in the 18th century, many did not agree with this type of language. There indeed were those who saw in black and white, and they did believe that all men referred to themselves only and not their property and human flesh. Many women and men do not, while many do, especially those plantation owners and powerful politicians and outright racial supremacists, they carried on the legacy of inequality well into the 20th and the 21st centuries. These people did not believe in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, and neither the abolition of slavery or the granting of civil rights to blacks. Further, these amendments were clarifications due to the fact that these same people did not believe that all men or all mankind is created equal. So they imposed black codes and Jim Crow and spoke of blacks as an inferior class. The reality is the protection of blacks was in the Constitution, but there were enough powerful people with enough money and political influence that they did not abide by these guidelines or this belief. Today they've changed their tone. They've reorganized. They've recollectivized. Because they've recognized that the mass of humanity is appalled by such ideas and such actions. And so now they speak, much like a plantation owner, for the black race and demand that others kneel in support of their so-called social justice out of fear of being called racist. And I can feel, I can feel it. 
I can feel the professors and all the people that went to those schools and they listen to those professors spout the very opposite of what I'm telling you tonight and they are just so full of hatred because they want to be whipping that black boy. They want that black boy to vote for them. They want that black boy back on the plantation. These people today speak for blacks as if they own them. And in many cases, they do indeed control them, except for those black men and women who are bright enough to understand this in the 21st century as a form of modern slavery and racial superiority in the United States. When these bright young minds speak or act, they are accused of oppressing their own people, particularly by white men and women and the few black slaves that run organizations like Black Lives Matter. These bright souls are free, know they are free, and equal as humans. And I accept them as such, as many of you do as well. We all accept each other and we all live in harmony until somebody comes along and points out our differences and tells us we have to fight over those differences. Yet many are thrust into psychological slavery by the whites and blacks who tell them you are only free if you stand on this side of the political aisle. You know, there were arguments made in the 19th century by George Fitzhugh that there should not be equality for blacks, or even whites for that matter. And this is where it gets interesting. People have made these arguments for hundreds of years that there shouldn't be equality for blacks or for whites. White people shouldn't be created equal either. He said the bestowing of equal rights is giving license to the strong to oppress the weak. His argument, George Fitzhugh's argument it was, is the same argument being made by Karl Marx at the same time in Europe. In fact, George declared that a southern farm is the ideal form of communism. You can look up George Fitzhugh. He was a major supporter of communism, didn't even necessarily support the ideology of Karl Marx. Black Lives Matter today is organized by terrorists and black ladies who literally believe in the ideology of Karl Marx and George Fitzhugh. Black Lives Matter demands that you speak in their rhetoric and hold a sign or your silence and opposition is violence. These are typical communist and Soviet propaganda techniques. They are ideological fallacies, and I will not submit or bend or kneel to them. You know that Black Lives Matter is comprised of one out of six black people. One out of six are black. The rest, on average, are white. That means five out of six are white, one out of six are black. Somebody please explain to me how those numbers make any sense. In other words, it's a white-run organization that demands adherence to its ideology. It demands other blacks be supportive and wishes for more political power. But if it does not receive it, it becomes aggressive towards its opposition, even those opponents who simply do not support or oppose it, including blacks. In this context, in this way, it is literally the same organization, the same organized crime, the same terror, the same tactics that were used by the Ku Klux Klan, primarily white political leaders who terrorized blacks along with whites who did not support slavery, a small minority of whites who did not believe in the founding principles of liberty and equality, but did believe in the institution of slavery and whose ideological foolishness extended to the 21st century in part of the civil rights movement with a careful severing of words like civil liberty. The civil rights acts championed by the Democratic Party seem more about control than freedom. As per the law of the land, these men and women, especially after the 13th, 14th, and 15th Reconstruction Amendments, 
already had the same freedoms as everybody else. Their oppression was a result of political venom spewed by those like LBJ, who said he'd keep Negroes voting Democrat for 200 years and keep them on the Democratic plantation. The simple fact that in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, and through much of the 20th, opponents of slavery, or even segregation or other injustices perceived or not, were openly welcomed by all people. Today, you must do exactly what the mob says, though, or you are considered an enemy. It must also be pointed out that the holding of prejudice is not, nor should be, illegal. And segregation, while not, in my opinion, held in good faith, it is not a violation of any individual liberties. There's segregation in Africa today, and there's a lot of segregation in Israel today. There's segregation in all countries. There's segregation in China today. There's segregation in all all parts of Europe, in Russia. There's segregation in South America. There's segregation all over the world today. There were many men and many women who opposed the equality of all men in the Declaration of Independence and the equal protection of natural rights in the Bill of Rights and the U.S. Constitution. These men and women were not the founders, and these men and women were never truly in the ideological majority, though they may have had extremely, extremely powerful influences through economic superiority as a result of the slave trade. These men and women exist today, and rather than openly owning blacks to the distaste and horror of the rest of civilization, they run plantations through politics and psychological warfare. These were the same men and women in the 18th century who wanted all blacks, who they, of course, did not, they didn't seem as humans, to be counted as full humans when it came time to determine political representation in Congress. That's right. If you look at American history, you had plantation owners, you had men and women who didn't think blacks were humans. But when it came time to determine representation in Congress, They wanted those black men and those black women to be counted as one full vote, as one full citizen, because that would give them political power. And they could import as many slaves as they wanted and have as much political representation as they could possibly buy. They weren't human, but, well, we'd like to count them as human now. Kind of sounds like what politicians have said in places like Portland. We believe protesting is a human right. We, we believe in the Constitution, but you don't have a right to have guns. You don't have a right to self-defense. They cherry-pick what they like. You're not a human being, but we'd like to count you as a human being so we can get some more power and some more money. The founders, of course, strictly opposed to this, and there were many founders at the Constitutional Convention who were very angry over the fact that their states, you know, would never accept a constitution and a a federal national government if their slaves were not counted as people for what they considered to be equal representation. And of course, many of the founders made these arguments at the convention that how can you not treat these human beings as humans until you want their life to be counted for power within your state. And a lot of the founders at the Constitutional Convention, if you read about the Constitutional Convention, were not necessarily proponents of slavery. They just knew that their states would never ratify a constitution that did not allow slaves to be counted as property. So there had to be some kind of compromise made. A compromise is something that most people that make a compromise, nobody really wins. Sometimes you make a compromise, one person gets a little bit, the other person gets a little bit, you both kind of lose. That's what a compromise is, right? Well, the founders strictly opposed 
the idea that blacks weren't human, but they could be counted as human for political representation. So they inserted and agreed upon the three-fifths compromise so that slaves would be declared three-fifths of a person, thus limiting the political power of the South. Had the South maintained more political power or the Constitution not been ratified, a union would not have formed, and rather it would have dissolved the principles of liberty and granted the unchecked expansion of slavery. That is real history, ladies and gentlemen, and that is the exact history that they will never teach you about in history class. However, they will teach you about the three-fifths compromise and tell you the founders did not believe that blacks were a full human being. They were only three-fifths of a person. You know what I can't wait for? I can't wait for, if I'm, un- if I'm unable to homeschool my son, Fox, I can't wait to teach him this and to see the reaction of the school system. If he goes to school and they teach him this bullshit and he stands up in class and says, no, Mrs. Teacher, no, Miss Teacher, no, Mr. Teacher, you are wrong. Here's what really happened. The three-fifths compromise was to limit the political power of the slave-holding states. The Three-Fifths Compromise was not a racist insertion into the Constitution. The simple fact that you don't question this history boggles my mind as to how you even have a teaching degree and how you are permitted to sit here and teach us these falsehoods. I hope my son rips his teacher apart because this is the real history that my son is going to learn. So he understands that the concept that all people are truly equal, a revolutionary principle that still stands true to this day throughout the history of the world and monarchs and aristocrats can be preserved and expanded upon so that others understand what this really means. It's unbelievable. No, it's just three-fifths compromise. Just all, you know, black people, just, just, they're just three-fifths of a person. That's what the founders really meant. You're a moron. You're a waste of of energy to even speak to you if you actually think that. And I don't mean because you've never heard anything to the contrary. I've spoken to people that I've explained this to them dozens of times, and they still tell me, well, they still said they were three-fifths of a person. Do you not understand that if they didn't make that compromise, there would never have been a constitution. There would have never been ratification of that constitution, and therefore the southern states that were slave-owning states, those states would have had more political power, and they would have overrun the non-slave-holding states because they would have had an unchecked importation of slaves that would have overrun the rest of the states. And that political and financial power would have won out in the day. And you'd have slavery, I'd imagine, to this day. You'd have a giant slave plantation like George Bickley and the Knights of the Golden Circle wanted to institute. Thousands of miles in circumference with a center in Cuba. This is in history books. Look up George Bickley and the Knights of the Golden Circle. Kind of one of the precursors to the Ku Klux Klan. They wanted a giant 2,500-mile radius slave plantation called the Golden Circle. And if it wouldn't have been for that three-fifths compromise, you'd have gotten a Golden Circle. You'd have never gotten a union, and we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation today. Even after the Constitution was signed in 1787, slavery importation as a result of the convention in 1787, was stopped within 20 years. That was part of the compromise. Slaves were freed by their masters in many places, and many states outright banned slavery. Now, slavery did indeed persist in many states and many places and was one of the primary factors in the Civil War. 
Its extension, though, involved economic growth and therefore political problems in the North as a result of the unfair use of slave labor in the South. The North's attempt to further limit slave power in the South resulted in threats of secession from the Union. That's what Abraham Lincoln was trying to prevent. I'm going to pause right here, and I want to let you know that you are listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. You can find this show five nights a week, Monday through Friday. Our website has our archive for all of our shows. It has our montage archive, and it has the archive of digital books that I've written. You can access to all of that when you become a subscriber, and you can do that all at www.thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com. I'm going to skip this break because there's a lot more to get to, and I want to put all of this information into tonight's show, into one audio file, so you can share this with others and so that you have it all at your fingertips. Now, one of the most well-known slave owners and founders who's often labeled a hypocrite is Thomas Jefferson. You know that Thomas Jefferson... If your argument is Thomas Jefferson was a hypocrite, all men are created equal, he owned slaves. Well, if that's your only argument, maybe you should take a deep breath and hold on for a second because, you know, Thomas Jefferson actually proposed a law in 1779 that would have provided for the gradual emancipation of slaves in Virginia. However, it's not upheld. In 1784, a few years later in Congress, he proposed a law which, if not for one single vote, would have banned slavery from the entire Western territory of the United States. You know, in 1787, a few years later, he published a widely read document called Notes on the State of Virginia, where he wrote against slavery. In 1807, as president, he publicly supported abolition of the slave trade and urged Congress to, quote, withdraw the citizens of the United States from all further participation in those violations of human rights which have been so long continued on the unoffending inhabitants of Africa, end quote. George Washington, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and many others spoke openly against slavery, despite many of them owning slaves. Eradication of slavery in the 18th century is kind of like the eradication of social injustices perceived or otherwise in the 21st century. They're not so easily expunged at the firing of a gun or the stroke of a pen or a simple protest and a simple sign. The treatment of African blacks then and the treatment of blacks today is not unique or different than the treatment of any race of people anywhere in the world throughout history. Slaves have existed in every major civilization and minor from kingdom to village. People have enslaved their own people, their own family, sold their own people, and sold their own family. The treatment of whites in parts of Africa today is arguably far more abhorrent than the treatment of blacks in some parts of America in the 18th century. What is unique, and the reason that the white race is seen as the bane of all civilization and all equality, and why America in particular has to be sunk. Because white men declare that all men are equal including women, and that slavery was wrong in all of its forms, except as servitude for a crime, and even then it wasn't slavery. And that it should be eradicated. And by the grace of God, or higher power, it indeed was eradicated in, at that time, its current form. Thus you have the modern clan attacking whites today as the root of all evil. Because the modern clan now using 
black cloaks rather than white cloaks. Doesn't take too kindly to the idea that all men are created equal. Doesn't take too kindly to the idea that white people would betray, so far as the Klan sees it, their racial superiority over the black race. They don't take too kindly to the idea that whites and blacks not only are equal in idea, but in practice, this can be implemented and people can live in harmony with one another. Those clan members who no longer wear white hoods and white robes and ride horses, they don black robes and black hoods. They dress up like Antifa. They go out and they hold up signs that say Black Lives Matter. They want you to know that they care about those black brothers and sisters. They want you to know that they care about the black race and all other minorities. And they include the sexual and the gender and the LGBTQs. And hell, throw a couple of pedophiles in there too because P is also included as a protected class in that community. And you mix all this together, and what do you get? You get a modern-day Ku Klux Klan that doesn't ride on horses. They ride on political ideologies. They ride on social upheaval. And they wear the black cloak of the black race and demand that white people, by the Klan's perception of racial superiority, bow to blacks as their superior. Because some white ancestors did some bad stuff to black ancestors. Which is so arbitrary and so subjective, it's laughable that this can even be used as an argument for reparations or whatever it might be. Thus you have the modern clan attacking white people as the root of all evil and attacking America as the root of all evil. Want to talk about history? We can talk about history. The founder of Pennsylvania, William Penn, English Quaker. In the 17th century into the early 18th century, along with many colonists, were already writing about the abolition of slavery, speaking of it as a great and horrible injustice. William Penn, since they didn't teach you this in history class, wrote the Pennsylvania Charter of Privileges in 1701. These were white men nearly a century before the Declaration of Independence and nearly two centuries before the Civil War, declaring that all men were equal at birth. Oh yeah, you can go look up in the National Archives, type in Germantown protests, slavery, 1688, and you'll find Germantown protests of slavery dating to 1688 and how the the horrible white people opposed slavery in 1688. In other words, very few men and women believed in the institution of slavery and those that did received immense wealth from its continuance and thus immense political power to combat opposition. It doesn't matter how much of a minority you are, if you have the power and you have the money which results in power, you can keep a political ideology alive despite the overwhelming majority of opposition, politically or ideologically. Let me ask you a serious question. Maybe you're trans or you have uh, gender identity issues. And I mean this sincerely. And I think a lot of trans people actually would agree with me. Maybe I'm being presumptuous. How is it that 
the trans community, by any definition, even those that are exaggerated, that makes up less than a single percent of the population in the United States has this much political power. Can somebody explain that to me? It would make more sense if you took the trans community and the LGBTQ community and you looked at where the capital of the LGBT community is in the world today. Do you know where the LGBTQ capital is today? It's in Tel Aviv, Israel. You know that the Jewish communities in the United States that make up scarcely less than 2%, just a little bit more than the trans community, contribute to half of all political campaign contributions, and particularly over half of all Democratic campaign contributions. So when you have Democrats and you have the LGBTQ community and you have trans people as an extension, as a branch of that, with so much power and money, one wonders where it comes from. And then you follow back the capital to Tel Aviv. I mean, this is literal. You can look this up. Type in LGBTQ capital. At least the last couple of years, the LGBTQ capital of the world with the most support has been in Tel Aviv. And Jews, more than any other race, believe and support homosexuality, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have a stance. I don't care where you stick it or where you have it stuck. doesn't matter to me. Don't try to stick it in me or my son, and we're okay. You're a human being. I respect you unless you disrespect me. That's how liberty works. Your rights end where my rights begin, and my rights do not end where your feelings begin. It's because of a small political elite that exploits and uses trans people and those of the LGBT community to wage cultural war on the rest of society. You know that in 1776, that infamous year where the Declaration of Independence, a document of treason was signed, that even in the slave state of New York, They formally resolved in the House of Representatives that slavery is, quote, utterly inconsistent with the available principles in which this and other states have carried on their struggle for liberty, end quote. Oh, and in 1764, a publication was endorsed by the Massachusetts legislature, James Otis, who said, quote, the colonists are by the law of nature freeborn, as indeed all men are, white or black. So from William Penn, To James Otis, all men are created equal, white or black. Thomas Jefferson didn't come up with the idea. In fact, Thomas Jefferson got many of his ideas from Locke. You know, even in southern states like Georgia, many of the residents before the Declaration of Independence in 1775 spoke against slavery as a, quote, unnatural practice founded in injustice and cruelty and highly dangerous to our liberty as well as our lives, debasing part of our fellow creature below men and corrupting the virtue and morals of the rest, and is laying the basis of liberty we contend for upon a very wrong foundation. These were people in a slave state like Georgia, speaking of this. The average person did not agree with slavery. In 1787, two Virginia counties asked the state legislature to abolish slavery And here's what they said, quote, The glorious and ever-memorable revolution 
can be justified on no other principles but what doth plead with greater force for the emancipation of our slaves in proportion as the oppression exercised over them exceeds the oppression formerly exercised by Great Britain over the states. In other words, the oppression of African blacks exceeded the oppression exercised formerly by Great Britain over the states. They were acknowledging that there were many within the ranks of the colonies and what would become the United States of America that were more oppressive than the empire that had just been defeated in years of blood and death in a fight for equality and liberty. And you know that only about 3 to 4% of the population took up arms against that empire. And with the support of the French, and essentially with the support of Russia, Russia would also help during the Civil War, with the support of Russia and the support of the French more directly, sending ships and soldiers. The British Empire was defeated and withdrew from the colonies. You're going to sit there and tell me that all white men are responsible for the horrors of slavery, you ignorant, bigoted, racist fool. You know nothing of what you speak, and I'm about sick and tired of it. I think the rest of us are about sick and tired of it, too. That's New York, Massachusetts, and Virginia. How about Vermont? You know, Vermont was the first state to forbid slavery in its constitution in 1777. You know that court cases and other actions of government ended slavery in Massachusetts and New Hampshire in the 1780s? You know that Pennsylvania passed the first law for gradual emancipation in 1780, and Rhode Island and Connecticut followed in 1783 and 1784. You know, New York and New Jersey did the same thing in 1799 and 1804. 1804, when New Jersey did it, reluctantly towards the end, was the year that the slave importation was banned by Congress. New York's abolition law, by the way, took place on July 4th due to the fact that they saw the power and the importance of liberty symbolically given to all to be given to blacks on that same date for which the colonies declared independence from that oppressive British empire that is two Virginia counties asked the state legislature in 1787 in Virginia declared that the treatment of blacks was worse than the treatment of the colonies by the British. Further misunderstanding of these and other questions comes with the difference not only between civil rights and civil liberties, but of unalienable rights and legal rights, the former possessed by everybody and the latter possessed by those favored by law. In fact, Thomas Jefferson wrote of black slaves, quote, but whatever may be the degree of talent, it is no measure of their rights. So you have to understand that people saw the world differently in the 18th century, that even those that owned slaves or were attempting to abolish slavery whether Thomas Jefferson or later Abraham Lincoln, they may have held certain prejudices, as we all do of our own groups. For example, I'm not attracted to black women. I've seen some black women who are attractive, but my prejudice is I'm attracted to white women. That's a prejudice, and you could consider that racist, but there are many forms of racism that aren't as prejudiced as you typically would, would imagine. Racism is seen as this abhorrent thing and it can be defined as anything, but racism is simply prejudice. It's simply judgment. And there are good judgments and bad judgments, and good judgments could be perceived as bad judgments. 
perhaps we should not judge at all. But the reality is, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, they both viewed that blacks, whether they deserve to be classified as inferior or not, neither Jefferson nor Lincoln saw it this way, but they believe that they all have a right to the same liberty and that they all have a right to the fruits of their labor, which is why property rights were more important in the founding of the United States of America than slavery because property rights and the true foundation of property rights and the prevention from powerful institutions of holding that property over others and controlling things like in communism, that was important in order to also free slaves. Those who choose to spit on history either never read it or choose from it as if it were a buffet. Such as Representative LaShawn K. Ford in Illinois saying that current history is racist and it leads to a racist society and it diminishes the contributions of women and minorities. Really? American history diminishes the contribution of women. You ever heard of Abigail Adams? Probably one of the sharpest tongues of revolutionary times. You ever heard of the women that followed their husbands and boyfriends, perhaps even brothers or sons, onto the battlefield? They didn't just perform acts of nursing or comfort or something like this. Many women picked up arms when the man fell, and they fought the British. Small percent of the population, sure. Very, very small percent for women. And you know that a lot of the soldiers, they weren't 40-year-old, 50-year-old men. They were 13, 14, 15-year-olds. A lot of them in their 20s. Most of the men at the Constitutional Convention, with the exception of those like Benjamin Franklin, who was in his 70s, 80s, most of them were in their 20s or 30s. These are men that accomplish more in a day than most of these whining morons that go clamoring on about rights and equality accomplish in a year or a lifetime. Because the time period in which they lived required them to do so. Our time period in which we lived is one, live is one of decadence. It's one of the acceptance of demoralization that we are insignificant and worthless and we just need somebody to take care of us. It's too, it's too much work. It's too hard. I don't want to do anything for myself. And so we let people like Representative LaShawn K. Ford tell us history's racist and women don't matter. Really, Betsy Ross doesn't matter? Abigail Adams doesn't matter? All the women who stood behind the men, they don't matter? N- none of the women in history matter? Because you don't speak of them? See, that's what makes somebody racist and sexist. When you sit there with the audacity to say, oh, our history just teaches that women don't matter. Well, number one, you're speaking about a time period in which to preserve the rights of women, women had husbands and were in the house and were protected and were generally happier than the enormous left-wing mobs and hordes of Me Too women with pussy hats are today that are just dying to be Fifty Shades of Grey in a lot of cases. 
All right. You can tell me that you're a racist and you can levy all these charges against me, just like you levy the charges against history. History is irrelevant. History is unimportant. Humans are irrelevant. Humans are unimportant. Don't you see what this is all really about when you actually look at the details and when you hear the details? I guess Rosa Parks was irrelevant. I guess all the powerful women throughout history were completely unimportant because you choose to ignore them or because you're ignorant enough to ignore all of history without even looking at it, not even knowing of these women, and simply declare that there were no women that were important. In fact, there were no people that were important. History just doesn't matter because those people today, like John Dewey, who died like 70-something years ago, they get to tell you. They get to structure society. You are not divine by the hand of God. You are divine by the hand of the state. Because, you know, the social order created by the state creates men, not the laws of nature. That is what's more important. Oh, what about a... Let's watch a documentary the other night on uh, Mary Curry. What about Mary Curry? Does she not matter because you don't know anything about history? You know the Federal Congress passed? Let's little history quiz. What did the Federal Congress pass? You'll never see this in history. You'll never, ever have a test question like this. What did the Federal Congress pass in 1787? Well, in the Northwest Territory, they passed something called the Northwest Ordinance. And you know what it did? It forbid slavery in the territory of future states like Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Illinois. You racist, bigoted, LaShawn K. Ford representative of Illinois. You freaking idiot. You scumbag piece of trash. Get rid of history. It teaches racism. Well, get rid of history so you can't learn the federal Congress banned slavery in Illinois in 1787? Now, the Congress did allow slavery in the southwestern territory, the states of Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, and Tennessee, because that territory was claimed by southern slave-owning states that had immense political power, and then it was ceded to the government with the exception that we will give you this land, this will be incorporated into the Union, but slavery will continue here. Or we will withdraw it, and we will go to war with you. Which later happened about 100 years later, a little less than 100 years later. Now, although men like Thomas Jefferson owned slaves and saw the institution as one that would need to be abolished, having not done so directly, he pleaded with the courts and others for the legal emancipation of slaves. If Jefferson openly, or George Washington for that matter, openly declared that slavery was wrong, as they did, and released their slaves, it's kind of the catch-22. They may have lost political authority and isolated themselves from fellow slave owners. You ever think about that? You ever think that Thomas Jefferson, who was so adamantly opposed to slavery, who took in many slaves as more than just slaves, as servants who were taken care of while speaking out against slavery, if he was to abolish slavery by some legal decree, which he attempted to do, if he was just to free his slaves, you think Thomas Jefferson, if he was to free his slaves, may have lost respect and political authority among the delegates and representatives of southern slave-owning states? Yeah, I know Thomas Jefferson didn't go to the Constitutional Convention, but I'm talking about overall the political authority. George Washington was there. Do you think if George Washington would have freed his slaves, that he'd have had any authority and respect? George Washington was universally respected. If George Washington would have freed his slaves, what do you think would have happened with the southern states? Do you think they would have respected 
Washington in the same way? You think they would have agreed in any way, shape, or form to establishing a union? Even the delegates there, let alone the states that had to ratify the Constitution? This is just, it's stunning historical ignorance. They tried to preserve and tried to create a unification which was necessary to abolish those institutions which had trampled on the rights of all men. Abolitionist proposals were presented in Virginia in 1778 by Jefferson and again in 1796. They were even presented in Kentucky at the Constitutional Convention in 1792, a state where slavery was legal. Abolitionist societies then sprang up in Delaware and Maryland, both legislatures of which debated abolition in 1785 and 1786. The simple fact that any state debated abolition means that not all the founders and all the representatives of all the states were members of the slave community. It's outrageous. Despite the popular views on the founders, they limited and eventually outlawed the importation of slaves from abroad. They abolished slavery in a majority of the original colonies. They halted the expansion of slavery in areas where it had not been previously. And they formed laws regulating slavery to be more humane. In the meantime, while the process of slavery was abolished, even in places where slavery remained legal, there were strict guidelines on the treatment of slaves. In 1774 in North Carolina, killing a slave willingly and maliciously was warrant for a year in prison. The constitutional founding, which leads to arguments of the Three-Fifths Compromise, limited the authority of slave owners. It did not grant them authority or power. Slavery was going to continue regardless of what the founders did, and later regardless of the outcome of the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation. The inferiority of the black race was still held by many. Slavery as an institution was not only still held, but adapted and changed to the times to become more of a political tool than one of economics. The founding principles were to be upheld. Private property, liberty, and equality for all men, which includes women in all races. And this could only have been done through a strong national government and with a natural outlawing of slavery as an institution. Any argument for slavery and white superiority never came along with claims that all men are created equal. But claims that all men are created equal come along with opposition to slavery and white superiority. And they are opposed to those who do not believe in such statements of equality and liberty for all. Tools of psychological manipulation have hijacked the idea that all people are of importance to God and made in God's image. And through this type of manipulation, certain groups have been isolated so it may be declared that you must say Black Lives Matter, or you are a racist. You must adhere to the doctrine of a Marxist cult, or you are a racist. And you know what I say? I say, no, sir, no, ma'am. If you even deserve to be spoken to in such formalities, you are the racists, you are the bigots, and you are the modern-day slaveholders. And I do not have to be a Republican nor declared abolitionist to make such a statement. All men are created equal, and I do not have to bend to your terrorist tactics, your Marxist ideological coercive persuasion of a collective mob of terrorists to be a proponent of liberty and the unalienable civil liberties and civil rights for all men or women, no matter their skin color or their sexual orientation. You truly hate the founding of America and the very founding principles because those things are that which you are opposed to. You despise the white race because the white race predominantly and with political authority ended slavery and many white men died to protect the civil liberties and the civil rights of black men. You say that no men of color were free, that everyone was a slave owner, that all whites are responsible. 
though you dismiss that slave owners made up only a minor percentage of the population at any given time, and that outspoken proponents of slavery were not always slave owners, but somehow found their wallets contributed to by the institution. In other words, it was economically beneficial. Others found pride in their poor state of existence due to the simple color of their skin, a horrible scam concocted by the Klan and other racists for the support of their cause. In other words, you're white. It doesn't matter if you're poor. As a poor white person, you are more important than the richest, most intelligent black person. A Klan that was started by the Democratic Party, nonetheless. You know, in 1790, 8% of all blacks were free. This alone demonstrates that all black men were not slaves, nor were they oppressed by white men. The Constitution and the creation of a strong national government not only allowed for the limiting of political power to the southern states with the Three-Fifths Compromise, but in 1808, Congress moved to abolish the slave trade. They maintained their power granted within the Constitution to control commerce with foreign countries and among the states which implicitly included commerce in slaves. The Constitution was brilliantly negotiated. The Constitution indeed did protect slavery, but it did not stand in the way of its abolition, nor did it stand in the way of any individual state that wished to abolish it. Congress regulated the slave trade, halted the importation of slaves, and prevented the expansion of slavery. What exactly more could you want from men and women of a truly revolutionary nature who had created the government no one had ever seen before? And spoken that all men, despite the skin color or the sex of their birth, including women, were equal by using the term men as in mankind or humankind. What more could you want from men and women who had given their families, lives, and fortunes to fight against the tyranny of disarmament, taxes, and debt? A debt, by the way, that was seen as a form of slavery. Debt and taxes were seen as slavery, as they indeed are. The British word on the subject of slavery was that any black who fought for the crown diligently would be freed. This was a tactic meant to fracture the colonies and limit their power in the same way that the British later supported the South during the Civil War. The king gave no more concern for blacks than white colonists. You know, Thomas Jefferson's first draft of the Declaration of Independence spoke to this. This is actually what the first draft said. He, the king, has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivated and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. He has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain an execrable commerce, determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold, and that this Assemblage of horrors might want no fact of distinguished die. All men. And if these words truly meant nothing then, they surely do now. And the foundation of a truly free society must still be preserved on the ashes of the one that so many despise. There's no space, there's no reason, there's no time to write down every single identification. You know why? Because race is a construct, particularly of a social nature. We are all of the human race, and we all have unalienable rights, and we are all made in the image of God, whatever you call God. Imagine, if you will, a declaration of independence that read as such. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And of course, by all men, we mean women, blacks, browns, people with 
Suntans, gays, queers, trans, black, trans, brown, trans, trans with a suntan, those with gender identity questions, those that are tall, small, medium, round, thin, large, tiny, fat, skinny, Russian, German, Indian, French, Spanish, Irish, Scottish, Asian, African, those native to their respective territory, and even the British. We mean that all women of the same, and all women who identify as men, and all men that identify as women, and all women and men who identify as neither, or as an animal, alien, or something other entirely. Imagine a Declaration of Independence that read like that, and there would still be holes poked in it because they didn't mention this group. Thomas West, author of a book called Vindicating the Founders, said, quote, The founders believed that liberty would survive only if the citizens possessed the right habits and beliefs. In general, that meant first an enlightened understanding of the equal rights of all. Second, an appropriate degree of courage or self-assertion on behalf of those rights. And third, moderation of self-restraint, including respect for the rights of others. And these are the things that we have lost and do not have today, it seems. Instead of working long hours with constant abuse, keeping none of your fruits, none of the fruits of your labor, and being a literal piece of property, you're now given breadcrumbs and ghettos to live in, welfare checks and lip service paid to your importance so long as you vote and gave power to the political interests who pay for your servitude. It's unlikely the founders anticipated that the idea of liberty would be opposed so strongly by powerful interests who believed in the opposite. Therefore, once more, it is inappropriate, disingenuous, historically inaccurate, and foolish, as well as being ignorant, to profess that the founders of the United States of America were white barbarians, men of their times who did not believe anyone except themselves were free, who didn't think so much of these other people to even include them in the Declaration of Independence or a Declaration of Human Rights. If this were the case, why so much opposition to the notion that all men are created free? Why exactly does that opposition exist then? If the founders were truly racist, bigoted slave owners who did not believe in the, in the, in the, in the, the reality of freeing slaves despite their open proclamations of abolition, why were there other interests who opposed them? Should not many of the southern states, the plantation owners and politicians like John Calhoun, shouldn't they have been major proponents of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence? If the founders were so terribly guilty of what they have been accused, why was there a civil war over slavery, economics, and politics? And why go to such lengths to prevent the expansion of slavery, the importation of slaves, the political powers of the slaveholding states, and the established principles of liberty opposing slavery in its institutional form? Now you once more open that filthy, arrogant, ignorant mouth, and you tell me that there is systemic racism as a result of the founding principles of liberty and equality and justice for all people, no matter what they look like or where they come from. And if you do open your mouth, keep it open, because I'm going to shove that charge back into your mouth where it belongs, because the people that make that charge are the very ones that have a belief in the inferiority of some groups of people, and they no longer wear white robes. They wear black robes. They wear the black robes of certain groups of people matter. And if you don't trust us, you don't believe us, you don't do what we say, you are violent, you are the opposition, and you are the problem. If we understand history, we know this is not true, and this empowers us. And this, I believe, is what truly and honestly saves the United States of America. The rekindling of that torch of liberty and the acknowledgement and the understanding of history, not as your professor teaches you, but as contextual history will demonstrate. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings, rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay with us on The Fringe FM. I'll talk to you tomorrow night right here, same time, same place, as we are five nights a week. Check out our website, 
thesecretteachings.info. To get access to our full show archive, the montages, and the books, www.thesecretteachings.info. Have a good night, stay safe, stay informed, and we'll talk to you tomorrow night. You tune into this show at your own risk, because it leads to a state of mind, not a perception that will be, but one that is. I'm Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings. The analysis offered on this show is objective, removed from the emotional hysteria of the hive mind collective mob of coercive persuasion, the polar divisions in politics and religion, and those that exist in the paranormal, occult, and even in health. By simple observation and common sense, one may decipher the news speak doublespeak, and propaganda of ideological collectives intent on persuading the individual to abandon liberty through coercion and fear. On this show, we will speak to your heart and soul, opening a channel to spirit. And when you tune into this frequency, you are hearing The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on The Fringe FM, with a full archive at thesecretteachings.info.